Welcome, 2020, can you believe it? You know, I haven't seen many of you at church this year yet, so I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, Today we're gonna take a break from Acts. Um, Ken asked me to fill in today, and um, with the new year, I wanted to challenge us for 2020. And so, uh, one of the things that you'll probably wanna do later on is read through Exodus chapter three and Exodus chapter four. I'm gonna be hitting, going back and forth in those chapters and highlighting um, Moses, and Josh alluded to that and what he shared this morning. So on your outline in your bulletin, you'll find some places with some blanks and we'll fill those in for you as we go. So you'll wanna follow along. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask you to come before us in a special way now for 2020 to lead us and give us vision to help us to hear your voice in the small things and the big things, to be able to know that you're present with us and the things that you're asking us to do, that we can accomplish those by your grace and for your glory. So Lord, use me today to encourage people, exhort people, and to bring them closer to you because they're here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today we're gonna talk about an extraordinary God for an ordinary people. Kind of in an unusual year, huh, 2020? Um, you hear all the jokes about having a 2020 vision and all that kind of stuff, and I'm sure there's a lot of sermons going on today with that title, uh, that God wants you to have 2020 vision. What is his vision? Uh, but today, um, we're gonna talk about the call of God more than the vision of God. <clears throat> and so I just wanna give you a little bit of background because we haven't been in Exodus. We've been enjoying the book of Acts. Thanks, Ken. <clears throat> but if you remember, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big picture guy. I was like, how does this fit into the rest of the Bible? Um, and so I like to do that a lot. If you've been around me, you know that. Um, so as we're gonna focus on Moses in, in Exodus four, we have to remember all the things that God's been revealing before that, and Josh alluded to some of that. But we see early on that God was the God of promise. And we see that in Genesis chapter 24, and the promise that was given to Abraham and to Sarah. And that gets played out in the life of Moses in the nation of Israel, becoming the nation. And then we saw the God of purpose, or preservation. Um, The God of purpose was in the story of Joseph in Genesis chapters 37 through 50, where God uh, provided, he was the, the providence for the people. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. His hand of providence was on the situation. And so for Joseph and his brothers, God was the God of providence. There was a purpose to all of it. And then we saw that God was the God of preservation or preparation early on in Exodus. And you know the story of Moses, most of you, and how his miraculously was um, spared from the death of the young children in the land of Egypt under the the, uh, the rule of Pharaoh who was treating the Israelites harshly. And so God preserved the nation through Moses and prepared Moses for the things we're gonna talk about today. So we see the intervention of God in the life of Moses in Exodus chapters one and chapter two. And then we see in chapter three a revelation of God which declares that God is holy And you know the story, hopefully, of the burning bush. And Moses is just a normal, everyday shepherd, like any other shepherd, doing his daily deed, his daily work, 
going along and being a good employee, and he comes across this burning bush, and he, what is that? He starts to walk over, and God says, take off your shoes for you're on holy ground. <clears throat> and so God's starting to reveal himself and what he's like and who he is and some of the, the characteristics that we would say this is true of God. And so he is a holy God, and we see that in Exodus 3, 1 through 6. And then in Exodus 3, 7 through 22, <clears throat> it continues to go on, and it says <clears throat> that God is a faithful God. And this is where we get the call of Moses. And then in chapter four, we get the response of Moses to that call. So this is where we're at. This is what I want you to understand, that God has given a call to Moses. God has been faithful to his promises. God has been faithful to his purposes. God has been faithful through preservation and preparation, and God is being holy the whole time as he's doing that. And so he calls Moses. And so we come to the calling of Moses to be God's chosen servant in chapter three of Exodus, followed by the response of Moses in chapter four. And this call for Moses is what he's supposed to do is to go to the leaders, to the elders of Israel, and also to the Egyptians. This is what God's call was. You're to go and do this. And we see that in Exodus 3.10. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. There it is, that's the call. Go and do this. God is choosing Moses to do his will, to accomplish his plans and his purposes. So how does Moses respond? And what can we glean from this encounter? Because there's some miraculous things that happen in there, and a lot of people like to focus on those things and say, hey, you need to find the miraculous stuff. But I think there's something for us to learn in this passage. Is it really a passage for us to learn about great signs and wonders, a hand that becomes leprosy, leprosy and then it's healed, a staff, a regular shepherd's staff that becomes a snake, and are we supposed to be looking for all those things? Is that what we're supposed to go do? Is that what this passage is about? Or is this about serving God as his faithful servant? And I wanna bring you through that second approach. This passage in Exodus 4, 1 through 17, it's not about God's, God giving powerful signs as much as it is about us being faithful servants. See, we are called to serve God. We are called to follow the example of Christ who came not to be served, but to serve, right? How can we perform acts of obedience to the cause of God in our lives? Whatever they may be, God is calling you to something. There's situations that you're in and God's saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to say. This is how I want you to be. He's calling you. How can we perform acts of obedience to the cause of God in our lives? Maybe we can learn something else from this episode, and that is, what is needed in order to be effective in service to God? Let me say that again. What is needed in order to be effective in service to God? See, the track record of Exodus 3 and 4 gives us three aspects 
that we can take into account to consider what, what does that look like? What are you talking about, Phil, being effective in my life following God's call for me? What does that look like? What does it look like to be God's servant or to answer his calling for us today in 2020? How do I, how do you, perform the tasks that God has given us? Well, I think we need to consider that there's a path for us when God calls us. And the path is the path to performance. We want to be effective in performing what God has asked us to do. So let's take a look at that. As I said, biblically we can see three aspects played out in Moses' encounter right here on Mount Horeb in Exodus chapter four. The first observation on the road to performance is that there must be personal revelation. In Exodus three, two, and three, six, and three, 14 through 15, it's all throughout that chapter. God is revealing himself. We've already talked about that a little bit. It says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. He's encountering God. In verse six, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Who is this God? What's he like? Nexus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is a key revelation of who God is. We don't have time to unpack that, but it would be fun to do. Exodus 3.15, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is who Moses is finding out is calling him. That's him, that's God. And he's finding out what he's like. Do you know what God is like? Have you had a personal encounter with God? Is he in touch with your soul? Are you, are you in touch with him through your soul? Are you listening to God? See, we can't respond and be effective to the call that we're having if we don't know who's giving us the call. I mean, how would you respond to somebody that you don't know very well? You're most likely not to respond in a positive way. You're gonna respond, the more you know the person and you understand them, the more you're likely to respond. And if we are willing, willingly going to serve someone, we want to know at least a little bit about them, don't we? If I were to ask the people in here today, do you want to serve God in 2020? I'm assuming that most of you would say yes. But if you don't know God, why would you want to? See, there has to be this personal revelation, this personal encounter, if you're going to willingly serve. The second observation is that there is a prerequisite to the calling that exists, and that is a call to serve. I can't go serve my master and do the job effectively if I don't know what it is that he's calling me to. See, there has to be a call. There has to be a revelation of who it is, what he's like, then there has to be a revelation of what it is he's asking me to do. There's a call, and each one of you has a call. Moses was being called to do, by God to do his bidding. We already looked at this a little bit in, in chapter three. It says, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh 
Wasn't the promise that God was gonna rescue the Israelites? But God says, I'm sending you to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. In 3.12, God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Who's bringing the people out of Egypt? God or Moses? Yes. Exodus 3.16 and 17 says, Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites. So he's telling them to go to the elders of Israel, and he's saying, I'm going to use you. I'm giving you a call, Moses. God wants Moses to do it. And God believes that Moses can do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be telling them to do it. Right? In Exodus 3.12, we already said, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God wants Moses to do it. And God believes Moses will do it. God believes Moses can do it. In 321 it says, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go out empty handed. You see, a master will not ask a servant to do something that he already knows that the servant can't do. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? This is called the being useful servant syndrome. If the master comes and asks you to do something, he believes you can do it, otherwise he wouldn't have asked you. And that's what it's like with the call of God. What is it that God is asking you to do in 2020? What is it that God is asking you to do in your relationships? What is it that God is calling you to do in being a witness for Jesus Christ? As you follow Jesus, is there something that you can do or should be doing to serve God. Whatever it is that God is asking of you, you are capable of doing it. That's good news. Thirdly, so first there's a revelation, second there's a call. Thirdly, we can observe that there needs to be a recognition in the response to the call. So God can give the call and we just don't respond. We recognize and we respond. There's some difficulties here in the response because there's a couple things that will happen. As we respond, we will recognize some truths to be present in the tasks that are given to us. We're gonna recognize two things in particular that are true as we face what it is that God has for us in 2020. The first one is that we can expect confrontation. There will always be difficulties to face as we pursue doing God's will. Have you ever had any difficulties when you're trying to do God's will? I have. We can expect confrontation because it isn't necessarily going to be easy or well received by everybody. And so there are times when 
we will be trying to do God's will and we will have opposition. And God told Moses that. He gave him the call and then the weird thing is that God says this in Exodus 3.19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless the mighty hand compels him. Oh, wait a second, God, you just said the Egyptians are gonna be favorable to my people. And then God in 4.21 says, I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. God, you're telling me to go do something and you're working against me, what's going on here? Being God's, being God's instrument is not always an easy task. To speak for God or to be a servant can be daunting. Do not take it lightly. Being a pastor is a difficult thing to do, isn't it, Ken? One must be tough to stay in the service of God and to be effective at the call that God has given them. Church staff, I have the opportunity possibly to to be on church staff and that makes me quake a little sometimes. But to be on church staff, you have to be tough. Maybe you've heard this before. Job descriptions for church staff, have you heard that before? Senior pastor, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. More powerful than a locomotive. Faster than a speeding bullet walks on water, and helps God decide who's gonna win the Rose Bowl. (laughs) Associate pastor, able to leap short buildings in a single bound. Almost as powerful as a locomotive. Just as fast as a speeding bullet. Walks on water if the sea is calm. And he talks with God. What about our music ministers? They can climb over small buildings. Sometimes they fall off of the locomotives and they know how to fire a speeding bullet and they swim really well. And they are occasionally addressed by God. I'm glad God addressed you today, this week, Josh, that was good. What about the church secretary? This one's for Donna, this is good. Church secretary picks up building and walks under them. <laughs> knocks a load of mo- locomotive to, excuse me, knocks load of mo- the locomotives off the tracks, catches speeding bullets in her teeth, <laughs> freezes water with a single glance. <laughs> and when God speaks, the secretary says, may I ask who's calling? And then there's the pastor's wife. We don't even want to go there, do we, Patty? (laughs) Suffice it to say, it's a tough thing to serve the Lord. You will get opposition. There will be battles. There will be hard things that need to be done. And we have to recognize that in our response to the call that God has given us. Being God's instrument is not always an easy task. So it's needless to say, if you are trying to do God's will and you're trying to be his servant, there's some things that you will face. You'll face skepticism, inattention. People could be unresponsive. 
They will use denouncement and slander and even stand in opposition to what you're trying to do. And we can go on and on and on. But God will not send you on a mission alone or without the resources that are required to do that mission. There will be confrontation, but God will be with you. That second part helps us to recognize a second thing about responding to God's call. And that is that we can operate with confidence. Going again in chapter three, verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. As we face those trials and the the hardships and trying to do God's will, God promises to be with us. And in chapter three, verses 17 and 18, he says, I have promised to bring you up out of out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites. And the elders of Israel will listen to you. God has given Moses already what he needs to have confidence to do the will of God, to answer to the call, to respond in a way that will help him to be effective. If we could just remember God's promises, we will have confidence in doing what God is asking us even when facing difficulties. So we must remember that. First Peter, or Second Peter 1.3, we have been given all that we need. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And in Ephesians 3.20 it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. See, our confidence is in what God is doing and what he is like, not the fact that there will be, that there will never be any difficulties or confrontation as we try to serve God. His promises cannot be broken and that gives us confidence. How does this affect you in responding to the call that God's given you for 2020? Does recognition of difficulties change the way you respond? Can confidence have a role in your response to what you're faced with today? See, these three things Revelation, call and response have ever been and still are the prerequisites for effectiveness in God's service. There must be a personal knowledge of God for ourselves, a knowledge that's obtained by direct revelation of God to you, to your soul. There must be a definite call from God to warrant us engaging in a service, and there must be recognition of the difficulties confronting us and a confident resting on God's promises for ultimate success. That's what the call to Moses is about. So, now let me read to you the passage. That's a long introduction, wasn't it? (laughs) Exodus 4, 117 is about how Moses responds to the call. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent 
And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, Please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do signs. Moses is in a dangerous position here in chapter four, isn't he? He's had a call. He's had a revelation. He's had a call. And now he needs to recognize some things and respond And it doesn't seem that his response is very good. It seems like he's not treading the path to effectiveness, but rather he's treading the path to powerlessness. What is going on with Moses as we look at his response? Well, first of all, he appears to be weak and powerless and afraid. Do you ever fear powerless in accomplishing God's will in your life? What keeps you from moving forward to what God has planned for you? We're gonna see some things that was going on with Moses that maybe is happening to you and keeping you from moving forward with what God's calling you to do. So one possibility is self-preoccupation. We know it's in chapter three, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I mean, is it about you, Moses, or is it about God? See, Moses was so focused on himself, and what he's doing is he's accusing himself and saying, I'm not good enough. Man, do I ever identify with that? I don't feel good enough to be on pastoral staff here. I struggled with that. I struggled with that before I ever got into the ministry. Satan didn't want me to do ministry. But you know what? 
Christians have many accusers already. Why do we accuse ourselves? We, we don't need to add on to the pile. We get so self-occupied and we accuse ourselves and when we are so preoccupied with ourselves, we lose sight of the fact that it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. Another possibility that we see in response with Moses is fear. In Exodus 3.13, um, it says, when, or, sorry, in Exodus 3.13, Sorry, I got lost here. <laughs> in Exodus 3.13, we find how he responds to fear of what he doesn't know. When you don't know everything or can't see all of it, or you can't understand it, it can cause you to be afraid. And that's kind of what Moses was saying here. He's saying, what if they don't respond? You're so preoccupied, I'm not, I'm not good enough, but also, what, what if this doesn't work out the way I want it to work out? And we have situations in our life where decisions are being made and things are being done, but we're not quite sure how it's gonna work out. Or we don't understand everything about the situation. And so we get afraid. When you don't understand something, it can cause you to be afraid. Just like it was for the servant of Elijah in 1 Kings 6, 14 and 17. If you recall the story, they were surrounded by the Moabites and the Edomites. And, uh, The servant says to Elijah, he says, oh my Lord, what shall we do? And what does Elijah pray for? He says, Lord, open up the servant's eyes so that he can see all the angels encamped around on the hills surrounding them. That this battle was gonna be a victory for God. But he couldn't see that. So he was afraid. He needed to have his eyes open to what God was doing. But we have to realize that when we become afraid, we begin to think in the what ifs. We think like the sluggard of Proverbs 22. The sluggard says, there might be a lion outside, I'll be killed in the public square if I go out. And here it is, Exodus 3.13. Moses said to God, suppose, what if? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? What if they, they're questioning me? What if I'm having difficulty? What am I supposed to do? And so Moses is responding with a what if. First he responds with who am I? Secondly he responds with what if. And we cannot hold on to these hypothetical what ifs in dealing with God's will. We don't live in a hypothetical world. Living that way can keep us from operating. And when we live under what ifs all the time, we get stuck. We won't get up and get going or we'll seek the safety of being in the box. And for the board members, you'll understand what I'm saying when I say we'll jump back into the box, won't we? The result is that it causes doubt when we do the what if game, and doubt always leads to distrust. This was Satan's ploy all the way back in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? To get them to doubt, which led to distrust. 
Living in the what ifs opens the door for that. A third response we have from Moses here is unbelief in Exodus 4.1. It says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And so Moses is answering with the but. Yeah, but. This is actually a statement of unbelief because God has just told Moses in chapter three that the elders would believe him. And now in chapter four, he's saying, but what if the elders don't believe me? What, didn't you hear God? It's as if he is replying with a yeah, but. And the scriptures tell us, rather, that faith moves us beyond the position of questioning, beyond the position of the yeah, buts in response to God. Hebrews 11, one and two tells us what faith is, right? Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So it's by faith we come to an understanding of things that we can't fathom, things that maybe we're not understanding or we don't have the whole picture. We put faith in God, which can move us beyond unbelief. The other option is to get frozen or stuck. The unknown can freeze you. The unknown can freeze us. Will you become inactive in serving God in 2020? Is there something that is keeping you from moving forward? The last response we see is pride in Exodus 4.10. Notice that Moses is now saying, I am. It's interesting because God just got done saying, I am. And instead of saying, I am, Moses' response should have said, I am not. He's figuring out that he doesn't want to be embarrassed or to be humbled in front of other people. Moses is now saying, I am, because he's not eloquent because I don't speak well enough. I'm just not your guy. And I don't want to be in front of everybody, embarrassed in front of everybody. In 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And he keeps giving these, I am, I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this. Who cares, Moses? God is the I am. Why are you so concerned about your image rather than God's image? This is pride because he doesn't want to be looked down upon or be humbled in front of others, and this is an attempt to keep one's image polished. We're really good at church at doing that, aren't we? I debated whether I should do this because of the situation we're in here, but have you ever taking a look at some of the unlikely pastoral candidates in the Bible? How about Noah? Turn in the application. Even though he has preached for 120 years, he has no converts. This indicates a credibility gap. Besides, a certain account seems to indicate that he has a drinking problem. What if Abraham were to apply for a pastoral position? Well, we found out that he has two names. Is he using an alias? And if so, why? Also, we learned that he has stooped to bending the truth when it suits his purposes. 
And another matter we question is whether he is the head of his own household. His wife laughs when he converses with God. And she also likes to take charge of a matter before God acts on it. And if Abraham and his wife would agree to take some personal counseling and also marriage counseling, we might consider him at some time. Moses, our friend we're looking at today. We were impressed with Moses except for two severe problems. He has been known to lose his temper once in a while. And furthermore, while he seems to have necessary perseverance for preaching, his stuttering and stammering would defy all speech therapy. I mean, we're gonna go on down the line. There's David, Solomon, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Matthew, Luke, John the Baptist, Peter, Paul. They wouldn't pass the pastoral application. We're so concerned about the image and our image that we forget that it's about God's image. And so we cannot let pride become something that keeps us from responding to God's call, to God's will, to God's purpose, to God's plans. So how, how can we protect ourselves from the path of powerlessness and keep on the path of performance regarding God's will in our lives? In the daily situations that you're facing, how can you stay on the path to being effective? Three things. We need to listen to God in the ordinary. In the Bible, signs are generally used to attest that the messenger is the prophet of God. We see that in Deuteronomy 13, 1 Kings 17, Psalms 106, and Judges 6, that those signs were given so that the people knew that they were speaking for God, that they were God's servant. Moses is being sent by God, and God tells Moses to pay attention here with the sign and to listen to what the sign is telling you, what the sign is telling the people. I call it the voice of the signs. Exodus 4, 5. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord of God, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Why did those signs happen? Not because Moses needed some miraculous, wonderful, big thing to happen. It was so that they would know, so that they would believe. So is this passage, which a lot of people will spend time on, about seeking miracles and wonders to solve the situation, or is it about hearing God's message? I put it to you that I think it's more about hearing God's message than it is seeking big things in your life. See, the staff was the ordinary shepherd's staff that became the staff of God. The hand with leprosy came back to a normal hand there are ordinary signs around us all the time, but we learn to ignore them. Let me ask you this. As you drove in today, I'm assuming everybody came in through that driveway instead of the exit driveway. <laughs> when your tires turned and started facing this way to come in the driveway, what's the first sign that you see? I haven't heard it yet. It's the painting company 
has their little sign in the grass right there. That's the first sign that you see, but you know what? We all drive by it every Sunday. Some of you every day. And you don't take notice of that sign. You definitely don't remember it. We do that with signs in our lives. God has given us signs and ordinary things that we have every day right around us and we ignore them. Or we don't listen to them. We don't hear it that this is a sign from God. Sometimes we forget them. What are the ordinary signs around you that you need to pay attention to? Not the big booming voice seeking the miraculous and everything. Not that that doesn't happen. But we're talking about the ordinary things. Are you hearing God in the ordinary things? And secondly, we need to see God in the ordinary things. There are everyday ordinary things that you and I can do that God will use to help accomplish his plan. To minister to people that we come in contact with every day. Maybe you've heard the story of the shoemaker and his dream. It's a famous story. It's one of the most beautiful of all Christmas stories. It's told by the poet Edwin Markham as a, a takeoff on Tolstoy's Martin the Cobbler. A cobbler, a godly man who made shoes in the old days. One night the cobbler dreamed that the next day Jesus was coming to visit him. The dream seemed so real that he got up very early the next morning and hurried to the woods where he gathered green boughs to decorate his shop for the arrival of so great a guest. And he waited all morning. But to his disappointment, his shop remained quiet, except for an old man who limped up to the door asking to come in for a few minutes of warmth by the fire. While the man was resting, the cobbler noticed that the old fellow's shoes were worn through. So touched, the cobbler took a new pair from his shelves and saw to it that the stranger was wearing them as he went on his way. So throughout the afternoon, the cobbler thought, Jesus is coming, and so he waited. But his only visitor was an elderly woman. He had seen her struggling under a heavy load of firewood, and so he invited her, too, into his shop to rest. And then he discovered that for two days she had had nothing to eat. He saw to it that she had nourishing meal before she went on her way. And then night began to fall. The cobbler heard the, child, heard the cry of a child outside his door, and the child was lost and afraid. And the cobbler went out into the dark, <clears throat> soothed the youngster's tears, and with the little hand in his hand, he took the child home. But when the cobbler returned, he was sad. He was convinced that while he had been away, he had missed the visit of his Lord Jesus. Now he had lived through the moments as he imagined them through the day, the knock. He imagined that Jesus had come. He lifted the latch. There was Jesus' radiant face. He offered a cup to Jesus. He would have kissed his hands if this were real. He would have kissed his hands where the nails had been. He would have washed the feet where the spikes had entered. And then the Lord would have sat down with him and talked with him if it would have happened. That's what he wanted. In anguish, the cobbler cried out, Why is it, Lord, that your feet delay? Have you forgotten that this is the day? Then soft 
and the silence, a small voice was heard. Lift up your heart, for I kept my word. Three times I came to your friendly door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave food to eat. I was the child on the homeless street. Are we hearing and seeing the voice of God in the ordinary things? We must listen to God in the ordinary things. We must see God in the ordinary things, but we must also ask God to work in and through the ordinary things. See, God takes the ordinary and uses it to accomplish extraordinary things. Think of what Moses accomplished. That shepherd's staff became the staff of God, Exodus 4.20, and he took the staff of God in his hand. Philippians 2 tells us that every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is working in you to accomplish his purpose in ordinary things. He's taking ordinary people, you and me, to accomplish his plan. Philippians 1.6 says we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So what about Moses, his response? God ends up teaching Moses what to say. God gives Moses someone so he is not alone. Aaron becomes an extra resource for the task. And all, all of Moses' excuses are inadequate, inadequate for the response. He seems weak and inadequate and unable to respond to God's will for him in Exodus chapter four, and he is not on the path to effectiveness. But what do we see as a result of having God work in ordinary things of Moses' life, if you know his story? Because we eventually hear in Acts chapter seven from Stephen talking about Moses. It says, Moses was educated in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. What are your excuses for keeping you from moving forward with God's calling you to do or be or say? God's working with you, God's working in you. You can respond to his call. You can be on the path to performance of effectiveness. You don't have to be powerless. What path are you on for 2020? Are you seeking to be an effective tool in the hand of the master? Do you feel that you are on a powerless path or are able to perform with God's help? God is at work within you if you will let the ordinary be used to accomplish the extraordinary. God does not, this is on the bottom of your outline, God does not necessarily require the things that we might consider special talents or gifts to always do his work. There are simple things that you have or that you are that can be made available for him to use. What will you put to use as your spiritual service of worship to God? The elders are praying for you for 2020 that you will answer the call of God.